You're listening to the Go For Growth Podcast with Doug Hall. Hello, everybody. This is Doug Hall, your guest for Doug Hall's Go For Growth Podcast. Today, I have a very special guest on. Mitch Russo is the author of The Invisible Organization and The Power Tribe. And so he's a published author, and I encourage you to look at both those books. We're going to talk a little bit around the books. But the theme, of, as is always the case here, is about growth. What are the levers for growth? And my guests are all experienced folks at growing a business. And I'm really eager. I've known about Mitch's work for, for literally for over five years. Got the first book when he published it. And I'm eager to read the second book. So today, folks, I want you to welcome Mitch Russo. And I'm looking forward to hearing about his experiences in growing his businesses, also his ideas for helping you grow your business. So Mitch, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Doug. Great to be here. Awesome. So I love to start by hearing your origin story. What, what got you to become a business builder? You know, what triggered you to grow your business? And tell us a little bit about your positive experiences and a little scar tissue. So take a few minutes and give us that. Sure. Now, I only have, what, two hours on the show? Yeah, well, you know, see what you can do to cut it to, to the, to the <laughs> <All> chase. <laughs> so my, my core motivation was to pick up girls. and that. Oh, I, I love it. <laughs> so when I was in high school, I was not a, a particularly big guy, never played on sports teams, and um, couldn't get the attention of girls at all. So I thought, well, hmm, how do I do this? Uh, obviously, there's an answer, and the answer is start a rock band. So there you go. I, I planned this out, you know, at, at about 13 years old, I started um, taking guitar lessons and practicing a lot and getting pretty good at it. And then about when I was about 14 and a half, 15, um, I started uh, learning songs and and then bringing in some friends. And before you know it, we had a we had a band. Now, problem was, of course, we were just a bunch of 15 year old kids jamming in the basement in mom's house on a Saturday morning. Um, and so we weren't very well organized. So I had to step in and change things a bit. So I said, okay, first rule is no getting high during band practice because otherwise we sound terrible. Mm. So, uh, and everyone agreed and we started to practice and I'll cut the story short. It's actually quite funny story, but it it turns out that, um, in a matter of months, we became the highest grossing high school rock band in the area. And started at fifty dollars a gig and ended up at five hundred dollars a gig about nine months later. And in that journey, I had learned so many lessons that later in my life, when I started a software company, I leaned heavily on the natural progress of the lessons I learned starting a rock band in high school. Hmm. The uh, the most important elements of what I learned were things that today are still very important, like PR how to get PR, how to get connected to the press, uh, like price testing. How do you test prices and how do you mm-hmm. know what the right price is? Um, you know, uh, endorsements. I used to carry a clipboard and a pencil with me every time we did a gig and ask the Sweet 16 mom to write a quick testimonial. I mean, all this stuff played out so heavily when I built time slips. I started it with $5,000. Uh, we grew it. The short story is we grew it to uh, over 10 million in sales and then sold the company. Um, so it was a good investment. I put five in, got 10 out, you might say. Yep. And um, uh, the, the, the journey along the way was rocky as can be. Uh, in retrospect, it was the greatest nine years of my life. 
Um, and then I sold when we, when we sold the company, um, I then became a, um, you know, a, a division president for another company called Sage. Sage is the largest accounting software company oh. in the yep. world. Okay. So Sage bought my company. I then came in, I did my earnout, And then after my earnout, they asked me if I wanted to run all of Sage US. Hmm. Uh, and I said, yes. So I became the chief operating officer and ran all of Sage US for two more years. Uh, and then I returned back to my, uh, my place of origin here in, in, in what, when I was living in the Boston area. As I, after, after time slips wrapped up and after my stint with Sage wrapped up, um, the funny part of this is I went to venture capitalists in the area and I said, hey guys, I just completed what you guys want all of your clients to do. Let me help them. I can be an entrepreneur in residence. I could take one of your failing companies over as CEO and take it to profitability and take it public, whatever you want to do. I got zero response. <laughs> and huh. I was shocked as to why. And I, I, I couldn't even get anybody on the phone until finally I got one guy on the phone. And uh, I said, hey, did you guys receive my resume a couple of months ago? I, I checked in, but no one got back to me. He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, we know who you are. I said, what's the problem? Uh, why are why is anyone getting back to me? He goes, you know, Mitch, we really like your track record and all that, but the problem is you're too old. I said, oh. really? Um, I'm 44 years old. Uh, I was then, of course. And huh. why, why, how, how, I don't understand. How could I be too old at 44? He goes, you know, Mitch, all of our CEOs are 27, 26, 28. I mean, our investors would see you as kind of a fossil. I said, got it. Okay. And so what I did then instead of working for them is I started my own investment bank, basically. And yep started to build a fund and started to invest in startups and became assist ventures. Uh, and I ran that for a little while, always staying in touch with my friends. So my dear friend, uh, Chet Holmes, uh, yep. and I had all through the journey of time slips. He was my, one of my greatest supporters. He worked for a large magazine and helped me get advertising space in the magazine at a very big discount. And, and I became a great customer, a great client for him as well. So um, after I wrapped up the, the whole VC experience, and, I, and again, I'm trying to skip as much of this as possible for brevity's purposes. Oh, it's a great story. We need to hear it. Okay. Well, what ended up happening then uh, is that I got a phone call. Now, now while I was, um, after I had sold my company to Sage, uh, I'll tell you one funny element of the story is that I went to, this, to the CEO when I just ended up uh, being one of the Sage product lines. And I said, what is my marketing budget? And the guy said to me, it's unlimited. I said, uh, yeah, I, great, actually. What do I have to do to access that? He goes, do whatever you want. I said, really? He goes, yep, as long as you're making a profit, you have unlimited uh, funding. I said, okay, this is what I'd love to hear. So it, what, I, what I actually did at that point, went ahead and dropped about, mm, quarter million dollars worth of direct mail into the U.S. postal system. Now, what this guy did not know was that for the last nine months leading up to that, I had been testing my direct mail offer for nine months. I must have ran 19 or 20 tests, and we tested envelope size, color, headline, words, size. I mean, 
we tested anything you could test anything by the time we got the go ahead to drop that quarter million piece direct mail blast we had perfected everything we had our upgraded software uh, ready to go debugged and running and we killed it we generated triple the profits we did before i never had the nerve to spend that kind of money when i was on my own mm-hmm. so we we just murdered it and then later after i sold the company uh we were told that we had generated uh our profits had increased 500 percent while at sage now i mentioned earlier i met chet holmes uh at say at time slips and chet and i became very very close friends we spoke every week, sometimes several times a week. And uh, I had a health scare and he was with me just about every day supporting me from his offices in Los Angeles. And um, as he and I both developed our careers and our businesses, he came to me and said, look, I'm having a problem here with my own little startup, um, Chet Holmes International, would you join me uh, and help me? And I said, yes. Well, once I did, I started growing his company like like wildfire. And um, what happened as a result was that uh, he ended up engineering a conversation with Tony Robbins. So Chet, Tony, and I got on a phone call every Thursday night and talked about how we can build a company together. And that was the beginning of Business Breakthroughs International. Got it. And for those of you who don't know, Chet Holmes, who's now departed, but uh, when he was with us, he wrote the uh, Ultimate Sales Machine. Sales machine. Yep. Yep. So pretty, pretty well regarded book in the in the pantheon of sales books, I would say, and one one of my favorites. Yep. Me too. Me too. So then the journey began with Tony and Chet, and the three of mm-hmm. us together uh, went from about. 3 million in revenue to close to 30 million in revenue uh, all by executing a training coaching and consulting model. When you think back to the growth success of, of that trajectory, what do you think the one to three, you know, sort of key success elements were what key factors did you, now that you've got perspective of looking back in time, what do you guys think, what levers did you pull that really, really made a difference? Well, we were, um, as a group, the three of us, Chet, Tony, and I, we had an enormously diverse experience. Right. Um, you know, I was a product guy. Tony Robbins is a coaching guy. Uh, and Chet was a, um, a, a training guy. I mean, he... Right. So between the three of us, we had engineered some very powerful strategies. The first thing to answer your question, if I had to name three, it would it would be promotion and marketing, um, uh, product strategy, and sales strategy. Okay. So my expertise is in sales strategy and marketing strategy. So for me, this was an incredible uh, laboratory to experiment in. Uh, Chet and I would riff on marketing ideas sometimes for hours and until we perfected something and then we would launch it and try it. Didn't always work, but we got a pretty good track record. It worked pretty darn well most of the time. So here was the advantages that most people would not be willing to try. We started out um, marketing our webinar on radio. 
Now, most people have no idea how to use radio. Most people don't have a clue what radio is capable of, but you do because you read my book, The Invisible Organization. When we started, we were spending about $15,000 a month on radio, and we were building the company using that as our primary lead generation system. Later, as we scaled that, by the time we, we basically stopped, by the time I resigned from the company, we were spending about 125000 a month and had perfected radio to the point where we knew we could break even at a minimum uh, with our ad spend. And for us, what we understood very, very deeply was the value of lifetime customers. So we knew that if we signed somebody, uh, for a uh, $199 product that they were worth $11,200 in lifetime value to the company. Wow. And that's for every single sale we made. So that was the, the premise by which we could take things forward. Other people would stop if they lost a few dollars on a marketing campaign. We didn't stop because we knew that we could pay up to $1,200 for a lead that would convert. Yeah. And as it turned out, we converted a lot and for a lot less. Uh, and at that time, what one of the things that we realized very quickly was that a buyer who buys is a buyer who will continue to buy. Mm. And what that meant is that we knew that by building a true relationship with our clients, we were able to sell that same person over and over and over again and sell them things that in the beginning of our relationship, they would never dream of even wanting. So it was the idea of educating them as to what tools were available, then selling them the tools and then selling them the coaching and training in order to use those tools. So that frankly sums up a lot of what we did successfully at at BBI and our product strategy was very clever. In fact, we took Chet's book, which you mentioned a few minutes ago, and we broke it down chapter by chapter and we mm -hmm. created a division in the company for just about every chapter. Hmm. So we had a recruiting division, we had a, a core story division, uh, we had a, a Dream 100 division. I mean, we had divisions for almost every concept in the book. Uh, and on top of that, we had you know, a huge sales force. Now, the idea behind all of this is that we did it completely virtually. So we had, uh, at one point, we had probably 300 staff uh, loosely associated with us as vendors, but there was no assets. We, we, didn't, we didn't even own a copy machine. It was everybody was working out of their house, basically. And, and what year was this, Mitch? This was uh, from 2008 through 2012. So the the concept of virtual companies was known, but maybe not completely accepted then. Right, and there was a reason why uh, we had to we had to build a lot of the technical infrastructure in order to make that work. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't it wasn't a um, what you might call a slam dunk. I mean, we had virtual call centers that in many cases you might call experimental, <laughs> but um, right. but we were using them because they worked for us. Um, we had to cobble together a database and, and CRM systems that simply at the time would not handle what we were doing. Um, right. We had to 
figure out ways to track response rate from a variety of different radio spots on a variety of different radio shows on a variety of different days and times. And that we had to build manually and build mm. ourselves. So nothing was as easy as it quote unquote looked. <laughs> so, so, so that makes me think about um, something that uh, we don't always uh, equate to growth. And that is you had to grow internal infrastructure and methods so that you could then grow revenue and customers externally. Exactly. We sure did. And you had to do it with a business model, an infrastructure model of an invisible organization, a, a virtual company that there really wasn't a lot of wisdom then for that, was there? No, we were learning. We were learning as doing. Uh, and, and we blew up stuff all the time. I mean, so, I mean, I want to tell you some of the mistakes. I mean, we, we had... We didn't. We had invested in radio campaigns that never ran and didn't know it because we just were still building our infrastructure. So it was it was treacherous back then. And luckily, we were so profitable. Uh, you know, a lot. I'll tell you, a lot of mistakes are covered up by great profits. So it, it, it's good to know how to stay profitable as an organization scales, and that's really the challenge for many people as your company scales, how do you stay profitable? And that's really where it took some finesse and, and we were able to do it because mainly we were a pay per pay for performance company. So we had very, very, very low overhead. Yes. We had some, you know, admins that were on salary. Uh, part of my compensation was a salary uh, as well. So, but the real, real, money uh, came from what we saved versus what we earned. So we saved a fortune when sales were down and we made a fortune when sales were up. So that was with your virtual company structure. You didn't have an office building. You didn't have copiers. You didn't have secretaries sitting around, right? You got it. So what was the, if that's the upside, what was the challenge? What was the downside of doing that? Apart from there not being a lot of wisdom, but what practically, what did you struggle with in creating the invisible company, if you will? Well, you know, um, I struggled with, um, I struggled with management. Uh, I, I love the science of management and I learned so much during those years because managing an invisible workforce is not easy and mm. comes with enormous challenges. So yeah. that's where I screwed up and made mistakes. And that's where I was able to understand and learn the type of personality and the type of behavior it takes to lead uh, hundreds and hundreds of people completely virtually. So if, uh, if any of our listeners are in that position where they're not tied to a physical location, I mean, obviously a retail store or a gas station or auto mechanic business, you can't do that as uh, quite as handily, but what, if you're in that kind of business model where you you're thinking of ah, my, our lease is going to expire at the end of December or sometime next year, should we go virtual or not? What, what's your advice? Well, first of all, I, I think every company can go 
partially virtual. Okay. And what I mean by that, is I, I'll give an example. Uh, I was working with one of my consulting clients, um, and he was he was implementing my Power Tribe certification model. Okay. And in casual conversation, he said, "Oh, uh, uh, we're we're just about to." Signed some big leases here, and uh, so I'm going to have to leave the office a little early. And I said, wait a minute, what do you mean? What are you going to sign leases for? He says, well, you know, we've expanded quite a bit. I said, well, well, I get that, but why are you signing leases and committing yourself to possibly a million dollars in debt over the course of the next 10 years? And he said, well, my sales force is expanding. So I said, did you read my book, The Invisible Organization? And he said, no. Uh, he said, uh, and he, he then turned to his secretary and says, Get me that book, The Invisible Organization, and have it delivered tomorrow. And I said, look, let me make this really simple for you. If you simply set your salespeople up uh, with, with the same software that they're using right now, but to operate remotely from their homes, they can take sales calls from a spare bedroom. They will be happier. They will work harder and longer and have less sick time. Attrition will drop to zero. And you will never need to expand again. So think of the divisions of your company that could work from home. Listen, if you're a dentist, you can't, you can't right. have a dentist's office from home, but you could send your admin staff home. Sure. If you have, even a restaurant can do this. I've seen that happen as well. Good point, good point. There's always backroom stuff that's not customer facing that could probably be done better in a quiet, organized environment instead of a chaotic retail environment. Yeah, that's true. You know, the, in the book, there's a story of a New York City meatpacking company uh, whose real estate is very, very expensive there on the Lower West Side. Um, and they were, you know, they've been in the same location for 50 years. Mm. And it was, they had just been busting at the seams uh, and they needed more production space. So in a short conversation, uh, Basically, we chatted about the fact that, you know, um, uh, you could send your sales force, your marketing team, and your admin home and take all that office space and turn it into production space. And the, the, the president of the company said to me, you have no idea how much money you just saved me. You might have saved my company. Wow. And that was just with a casual conversation. All right. That's, that's great food for thought. So. Folks, the reference on that is Mitch's book, The Invisible Organization. Find it at uh, Kindle, Audible, everywhere, bookstores. I want to pivot a little bit because you shared an intriguing idea with me and made me think about the power of a certification program and what that did for you at Time Slips and, and Sage and how you uh, help folks understand that through your book and through your, your teaching and coaching. So, so give us the concept and help us think about how it might apply to our businesses. Okay, so before I lay it out, I have to say that it's not for everybody. And if you hear me say that, you say, well, great, Mitch, how do I know if it's for me? And I'm going to give you three questions to ask yourself, and that will tell you the answer. So here's the first question. Do you have a product or service that causes a major transformation in people or companies? And this can be software, this could be coaching, this could be training, uh, this could be a medical device, this could be anything that fits that description. Okay. The second question is, if I taught somebody else how to do what it is, my, my voodoo magic that I do, 
with a client, could they do it too? And, you know, at first some people would say, oh, no, 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 only I can do this because I, you know, I, I get beamed in information from zombies or something. I, I mean, clearly you're the only one. But if, if you can teach somebody your process then and say yes, then that's yes to question two. Question okay. three is a little different. The question, the third question is really about the size. So have you already achieved some form of scale? Do you already have several hundred clients or are you really not there yet? And if the answer is no, I'm really not there yet, then this is not a concept for you. But if the answer is yes, then here's why that question is so important. And it, it's based on a very simple concept. The simple concept is the idea of the early adopters. Now, I don't know about you, Doug, but I'm an early adopter. I bought the first flat screen TV for $4,400. Imagine how silly I must feel today when I can get a TV 10 times as good for about $149. That's, yeah. But you felt great when you bought that first flat screen 15, 20 years ago or whenever it was. Exactly, exactly. So the idea here is that any group, there's early adopters. And if okay. your group is, let's just use a round number, um, a thousand people. So if you have a thousand people and it could be 500, it doesn't matter. Just pick a number. I'm just making it easy for the math. Uh, then about two to 5% of any group are early adopters. Okay. I'll buy that. So now if you were to make an offer to your early adapters, to, to your whole group and say, look, uh, I just want to let you know that we're building a new uh, program called a certification program and it's going to cost a lot of money. But the reason you'll spend a lot of money is because you'll make between three times and 10 times what you spend back in your first year. Uh, and here are the details. Now, the details will be a logical explanation of how you will do this that will, for the most part, convince an early adopter that this is worth jumping in on. And that premise comes from the fact that you are actually creating a new profession for these folks. Now, the reason I say your clients is because what we call the pilot class usually starts with your own clients. And the reason is, is because they already love you. They already know your stuff. They already want to do what you do at some level and some right. of them, all of them. They're, they're invested in whatever your stuff is. Exactly. And if we can yep. get just 10 or 20 of those early adopters to say yes, then our only job is to graduate them from our program, hold their hand while they go through two or three client engagements, make them successful, harvest those testimonials, and then open it up to the world. Okay. So what certification does, and the reason that it's so powerful is because it changes businesses radically. So here's an example. When I was selling semiconductors, when I was a young man, uh, I went on the road to sell semiconductors. The, the guy who hired me had to pay me. I mean, I got paid a salary, I got paid benefits, and of course I received the commission. Well, imagine if you could put a sales force in place that paid you. Well, that's what certification does. When I created TimeSlips Corporation, we were growing at a very nice rate, but we had hit a milestone and a roadblock because we could not handle all the tech support that we, that we were generating from the number of products that we were selling so rapidly. 
So I had an idea that maybe I can enroll some of my best customers to act as tech support by going and visiting my clients and fixing their, you know, their systems or training them. Well, that mushroomed into a major, major program called the Time Slip Certified Consultant Program. And in a matter of 18 months, I had amassed 350 certified consultants, which became my third largest sales force between uh, right under my retail sales and my wholesale sales, mm. and also dropped an extra million dollars in profits to my bottom line, all while reducing my tech support costs by about 20%. Beautiful. Simply from asking my best customers, hey, would you like to take a test, see if you qualify, and then enroll in our program? And if you enroll in this program, we're going to reward you with a lot of great benefits. One of them, and this is the key, this is the difference between most certified consultants, most certified consultant programs like Infusionsoft and the ones that I build. In our programs, we assume that our certified consultants don't really want to sell, don't really like selling. And so we do all of the prospecting and work for them. And we deliver to them qualified prospects that they can close, and in some cases, closed clients that they can assist. Now, Perfect. they really like that. <laughs> right. You know, and so when, when Scott Cook, who is the founder of Intuit, uh, who was a casual friend of mine through, through various uh, channels, um, he saw what I was doing and he, he rang me up and said, hey, Mitch, uh, good job on building that time slip certified consultant program. You think you could help my team understand what you did so we could do the same thing? So I said, absolutely. And I sent him my Bible, which was the book that I had built uh, that contained all of my intelligence, all of my communications, all of my information. And I sent it to him for free because he was a trusted friend. And in turn, he built what's now called the Intuit Certified Advisor Program, which are thousands of CPAs who have built and scaled Intuit the same way they did for time slips and other companies as well. Uh, yeah, I'm familiar with that program. And you're right. That's exactly what happened. And it's, it's cool to know that you were the guy that helped them get the idea. He looked at you. He looked at time slips. He did. He did. And he was he was bigger than me. I was about a, at the time I was about a four million dollar company. His Intuit was about a six million dollar company. Right. But, well, and I met Scott Cook back in the day when he, they hadn't they were in beta. Kind of interesting. <laughs> I was in the PC yeah. industry. I am dating myself. I was in the personal computer industry back at the beginning and uh, yes. met Scott when he came into headquarters of a company I worked at. Really interesting guy. And what a story, you know, QuickBooks. Quicken and later now QuickBooks. Amazing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you've given us a couple of cool ideas. And, and, and so what I'd like to ask you is if folks are curious, obviously the books are out there, but, but what's their first easy step to learn more about what you're talking about? Well, you know, I, I have some websites that tell the story. Um, you know, they can go to mypowertribe.com and that will show them the three questions and give them some testimonials about other people who I've worked with and all the incredible people that I, you know, that I've helped um, as well. And, and that will tell the power tribe story, the certification story. They can go to invisibleorganization.com 
Uh, and if they want, they could buy the Amazon book through my site and get access to the Resource Center, uh, which are a bunch of articles and resources that I've developed for readers of the book. Or they can just go to Mitch Russo, M-I-T-C-H-R-U-S-S-O.com and uh, read more about me and all my adventures. Terrific. Um, we'll do that. So um, if you had to think about the number one piece of advice you'd give somebody who's sitting there listening and they're like, yeah, you know, what's the, what's the number one lever that most of us should pull to, to be able to grow our business? What comes to mind? Well, assuming you already have a business. Uh, the yes, one, they are, already have a, an existing business and they want to get it to the next level. So, so one of them is conceptual. And what I mean by conceptual is stop working in your business, start, start, start working on your business. Okay. And what that means is instead of spending all of your days and evenings doing things for people in the company or your customers, spend time thinking about and working potentially with a business coach as to what comes next. For example, simple concept. Never sell anything unless you know what you're going to sell next. We work with carpet cleaning companies. We've worked with um, dental chains, offices filled with dentists. I mean, we've done, we've worked with so many different companies and this one single concept of selling the next thing while you're closing the sale of the one that you're selling first has, has, has made fortunes for us and for our clients. So that would be the, you know, and by the way, you know, as you know, Doug, a coach can vastly accelerate your progress because you hired someone who's already done what you're trying to do. And if the person mm. you go to hire isn't or hasn't, then don't hire them. Good point. That's kind of three. Work on your business, not just in it. Uh, think about the next sale to increase customer or client lifetime value. And consider getting an advisor outside. Get somebody that's been there and done that and to help coach you. Those are three great pieces of advice. Thank you. You're very welcome. So, folks, um, Mitch, I appreciate your time. The folks out there appreciate it. Uh, they know how to find you now. You'll see show notes, everybody, the transcript and the links that uh, Mitch mentioned. And uh, go check it out. Check out his books and uh, check out his website. So, Mitch, thanks again. Uh, it's been a blessing to have you on the show. And have a great weekend. The Go for Growth podcast is sponsored by Resources for CEOs. We help overworked business owners take back control of their time, build a team-driven company, and multiply profits. Get your free copy of How to Get What You Want from Your Business at resourcesforceos.com slash guide.